this is Rick from California at the Gallifrey Convention. This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, Michelle and I sit down and we talk about which stories we enjoy the least from the first five eras of Doctor Who. and welcome to episode 146 of the Doctor Who podcast. As I said in my intro, I am joined by a new recording buddy. Hello, Michelle. Hello, James. It's nice to finally get to record with you after all this time. Absolutely. And listeners, you have yet another new DWP host combo. As pleasant as it is to to kick back in the annex of the camper van and enjoy the forum, uh, it's nice to come in once in a while and uh, slip on the slippers and get a chance to chat with you in the camper van. Well, I think that's a very magnanimous way of saying occasionally we unlock the door and let you in and out, but, <laughs> but you're most welcome uh, to sit in the vinyl chair. So much for trying to make you look good. <laughs> I think the others gave up on that some time ago. We're going to be taking a look at the entire era of, uh, of Doctor Who over the next couple of weeks. Michelle and I are going to be speaking about Doctors 1 to 5. And this is very much born out of a listener request, really. Um, those of you who have been listening to us for a long, long time may remember back on DWP's 93 and 94 Tom, Trev and I went through each era in much the same way as Michelle and I are about to now and highlighted our favourite stories. Now, sometimes they were very predictable. Other times we come up with slightly left of centre choices. Following those two episodes, we received quite a number of emails saying, well, why don't you either switch doctors or why don't you go through your least favourite stories? So we thought we'd give it a go. I do want to emphasize what you say about least favorite. I find that for me, particularly with the first five Doctors, there aren't really any stories that I have a strong dislike for. So as we move through this, least favorite is really the operative word for me. Yes, and I think that context is is really important to paint for for you listeners. We're not deliberately trying to pick the show we love apart here, uh, but I think it stands to reason that within any kind of fandom, there are going to be stories that fans really like, and there are going to be stories that they're not so keen on. So it's within the context of Doctor Who being our favourite show. So no emails, please, saying... Oh, you don't even like Doctor Who. Um, this, is, this is important that this is listened to in context. And, uh, and, and with that in mind, Michelle, I'm very keen to hear what story you selected from, well, all the way back in the 1960s from Doctor Number One's era. Yes, indeed. And I have to admit, as we go through these early Doctors, that when it comes to Doctors 1, 2, and 3, I have not yet seen or listened to or read every single story from those doctors. Now, the positive end of that is that I still have a lot of classic Doctor Who to look forward to, which is great. Uh, But I do need to put in the caveat that as I pick my least favorites, these are a subset uh, of of stories that I've heard from each of these doctors. So going to the first doctor, I am going to do something that may be a little bit sacrilegious here and say that my least favorite story, and I've heard about two-thirds or watched about two-thirds of the first doctor stories, but my least favorite so far is... 100,000 BC. 
<laughs> okay, now, well, first of all, listeners, that's also classed as an unearthly child, isn't it? This is the very first episode or very first story of Doctor Who. Yes, however, I used the, the 100,000 BC title intentionally because I do really enjoy the first episode, the Unear- uh, An Unearthly Child. The first episode is great. It's a good introduction to the series. It makes you want to carry on. But uh, when it goes back into the prehistory, I have to admit that I don't find intertribal politics and the search for fire that compelling <laughs> compared <laughs> compared to everything that comes after. Okay, well, what's wrong with you? I mean, surely every Doctor Who fan likes intertribal politics. <laughs> I think that's something that's a, a fundamental cornerstone of the show that we love. But is the story really about that? I mean, is it not about two school teachers in the 1960s discovering that time travel is possible? Yes, it is. It is indeed about that. And it, boy, like I said, this is a least favorite, so it's not like I don't like it. One of the things I do enjoy about it is that it introduces the Doctor as an anti-hero and uh, as someone that you're pretty suspicious of. And of course, he's just abducted these two school teachers. So it does nicely establish a character arc that runs through of really of Ian and, and Barbara being the moral compass and helping, I think, awaken the doctor to the hero that he becomes throughout the rest of the 48, 49 years of the show. But uh, in terms of drama, you know, again, in, in the light of everything that comes after it, watching the folks run around trying to find fire and get captured and uncaptured and, and stumble through the forest and get locked in the cave isn't as compelling to me as the things that come after. Hmm, no, it's interesting what you say about the Doctor being portrayed as an anti-hero because I think you're absolutely right and whether or not it was done deliberately I'm 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 really not so sure I think fans sometimes look at these things through rose-tinted spectacles or, or at least a little bit anyway and uh, try and retcon things but I, I I wonder whether or not Ian was always supposed to be the hero if you like he was the audience's um, access point to the story because it certainly wasn't the doctor in, in in the early stories he was particularly hard to empathize with and you know i think it's episode two or three of, a, of an unearthly child where we see the doctor ready to kill one of the cavemen in order to make their escape through the forest easier and whether or not that was setting him up as an anti-hero and allowing him to mellow given Ian, Barbara's, and to a degree his granddaughter's um, travels that, that that followed. I'm I'm not so sure. Um, I I think the show these days has, has assumed that is the case, but I I think it's a stretch a little. No, I actually agree with you. I I don't think it was intentional, and I think it developed into what it developed into. So it's sort of a, a happy accident that it is the beginning of a, a wonderful character arc. Now, happy accident. I don't think it was intentional, but it works well with 2020 hindsight. It's also interesting um, use the word sacrilegious, I think. And I think, to be fair, that was quite appropriate. I mean, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the very first Doctor Who story. And I think it's, it's weird because I'm in a very strange place here. On one side, I can understand entirely what you mean. And, and certainly episodes two through to four of this story are not the most compelling. They're not the most riveting. I don't think the acting is all that special either. But it still holds a special place in my heart. And... You know, I, I I automatically want to leap to its defence pretty much in an irrational way uh, whenever I hear anybody trying to poke, uh, you know, um, a stick at it. And it, it's a little bit like when, I don't know, um, your son or your daughter does something and you really get cross with them and you, you, you say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. 
the minute somebody else tries to say that about a member of your close family, then all of a sudden it's, it, it, the context is gone because you are going to protect it no matter what. And that's the way I feel about an unearthly child, Michelle. So it's not a good start. Well, it's nice to see I brought out your paternalistic side. But again, emphasizing least favorite. And I have, I still have about a third of the first Doctor stories to, to see. So mm-hmm. my opinion could change. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Well, I'll, um, I, I think I'll come back with what I hope is probably a slightly less controversial choice. And I would say the first Doctor story that I enjoy the least. And I'm not entirely certain that's an accurate description in this case because I really don't like this story. And and that's the Web Planet. Ah. And uh, is that one that you have managed to to see yet? Oh yes, I like the Web Planet. I I just find the whole thing um, slower than an asthmatic ant with some heavy shopping. I mean, it's it's paced so so slowly. And I, I, I just can't get involved with the story. Um, I, I watched it recently, well, I say recently, a couple of years ago, for what I think must be the second time only when it was released on DVD. And the things that I, I really noticed was how well they cleaned up the, 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 the pictures mm. and um, this, the special features uh, are quite good. But the actual story itself, if you sit down and watch what must be nearly two and a half hours worth of and incredibly unconvincing alien planet. It's so obviously a studio. Uh, I, I I just can't appreciate the relatively good story behind this because it's executed so poorly. And I, I it, it is a real shame, but someone should have said right at the beginning, we are not going to be able to, to mount this, particularly as it's a, a long six-parter episode, um, in, in a way that does the story justice. Now, ironically, it was quite well received at the time, and the Zabi uh, featured, I think, on Blue Peter and uh, many other shows as well. Um, that is something people do tend to remember about the the, the 60s era. You know, it's, it's these large, giant ants. But uh, but for me, it's not an interesting story. It's not well executed. It's interminable um, waste of time watching, frankly. It's interesting. I come from a background uh, in my life that I have been a very avid theater goer for much of my life. And back in the day, I remember about the time I was in high school, I used to go to over a month of theater a year when I added it up. So it may be that I'm more forgiving of sets that look like sets. It may be that I'm used to suspending my disbelief. Uh, If I am interested in a story, I think I can forgive quite a few set and prop problems, particularly in Doctor Who. But when it comes to the web planet, I agree with you that it's too long. You know, it should have been about four episodes. I liked that it was such an exotic setting, so obviously an alien world, although yes, you have to overlook the fact that it's also clearly a a TV set. Not a big fan of the Zarbi. I do think they looked kind of clunky and were obviously men dressed up in a funny costume. But I liked the the Monoptera, and I liked the the concept of the Optra, although I didn't care much for the performance of the guy that was playing the the grub form of that life form, but I thought it was a good concept. The other thing I like about this story is, I guess, how theatrical some of the dialogue is. There really is some beautiful dialogue that is written, particularly for the butterflies and the grubs, uh, and some concepts. Ian gets some good scenes with them that are quite poignant. I like it. I, I like the web planet. It's not one I could watch again and again and again because of the length and because of the pacing. Oh, you know, the other there's a fantastic cliffhanger in there with the doctor. Uh, and is it Susan at that point or Vicky? No, that was Susan. Susan. Okay, the doctor and Susan, uh, where they are trapped and get sprayed with this web stuff 
that is just terrifying. I thought when I first watched it, and I thought if I put myself in the point of view of a kid, it was horrifying to see what had just happened to the doctor. So uh, there are parts of it that I think are quite effective, uh, even though it also has its flaws. No, I, I think you're probably correct, you know, in all honesty. I, I think it's very difficult when you look at stories like this through the eyes of a um, of a viewer who's used to watching really, really modern television you know it's very hard not to be judgmental about it and i think uh you know normally i can set aside the um the lack of money that had gone into the sets because of course when you used to watch television back in the 60s it wasn't as clear the picture wasn't anywhere near uh, a higher quality as um as, as we're used to now and i think when you combine that with the fact that these six episodes were not designed to be watched one after the other they were designed to be watched once a week then perhaps that completely changes the way in which the viewer digested this story. I mean, I think there's a huge, I think there's a huge difference between watching it in 2012 and having watched it back in back in the day. But do I think it works? Despite that, then I I would say there are others that will work considerably better, um, despite the the, the the clear differences and advancements in technology um, within the industry that have been made in the last 50 years. But I, I, I don't find this hugely engaging. I, I, I do I do think the dialogue, as you mentioned, is um, is interesting in part. But for me, the sets are just too bad. And I, I think the Zabi are just too unconvincing that, you know, whereas I'm normally able to suspend my my disbelief, it just it just wouldn't it wouldn't be suspended at all <laughs> whilst I was watching this story, I'm afraid. <laughs> So let's move on into the second Doctor, and here I have to admit that I have only seen or listened to or read six Patrick Troughton stories. He's the Doctor that I probably have the most catching up on to do, which I'm looking forward to. So my selection really is from a very small set of stories. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with a story that I have only read the Target novel from. That's my only experience of it, and that's The Underwater Menace. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not actually the story that I have a huge amount of fault with and I'll be curious to see when we get to see the restored episode or the the, the recently found episode whether my opinion changes but certainly in the novelization Polly comes across very very poorly she's terribly poorly written I don't know if she's as poorly portrayed on screen as she is in the novel but uh, almost chauvinistic I mean I can remember one section where she says something like um, what's going to happen to us she said dimly. And that's actually the way the author wrote it. <laughs> and, then, and on and on about how she's whimpering and screaming and, and sniveling uh, at various points in the story. Um, setting the story aside, I found that really bothersome and really annoying. And I hope when I get to see what exists now of, of the video that it doesn't come across quite as poorly on screen. It, it's interesting because clearly I think it's it's quite tempting to go for the underwater menace when you look at the the list of second doctor stories as i did in one of my episode guides when i was doing the prep for this episode the one that stands out for me is the underwater menace and and yet i i, I felt slightly churlish about thinking whether i should go for that one purely because 
the um the, the, the rediscovered episodes and it's you know I, I have no idea what that's like so as i said there, there are now two episodes of classic who that i haven't seen having said that i i have read the story it was a long long time ago and i i, and I do remember having pretty much zero impact on me um <laughs> I, the, the only real experience of the underwater menace that i can i can relate to now or i can remember clearly is watching the episode that was on the Lost in Time box set. And I think that was universally accepted as being quite a poor episode anyway. There's lots of these fish people swimming around to um, quite ethereal styled music. And, you know, whilst it's it's different, it's, it, it's certainly nothing, nothing huge. But it, it's hard for me to talk about how Polly or indeed uh, Jamie came across in this in this story because I don't remember them clearly enough. Uh, what, what I do know is that the the consistency of characters um, within or, or the way that characters were portrayed back in the 60s, you know, is, is completely different today. I mean, today they have this arc, you know, the um, their story is designed right at the outset, I think. I'm not so sure whether or not a great deal of attention was given to a lot of the 60s companions, Polly is, is, is a strange one because she was a child of the 60s when, when we met her in the War Machines. And I think, you know, her her character did swing from story to story. And, and, and perhaps it was because the, the, the writers simply didn't know quite what to do with her. What what made her different from those companions going, that had gone before her? And it really is my only experience of Polly, I believe. Other, no, I listened to Power of the Daleks recently at, mm. at, at your request, and, and she certainly came across, came across much better in that um, than mm. she did in this novelization, uh, novelization, by the way, written by Nigel Robinson of The Underwater Menace. So my complaint is not the story itself. I reserve judgment on that until I can see more of it, but uh, more of the characters. And, and this may be one that's going to be um, animated, perhaps, in the future. Now that 50% of the story does exist, then I would imagine Two Entertain have at least considered animating two episodes. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I remember when that episode was discovered or when the news broke on Twitter, uh, people were going, oh, fantastic, fantastic, we've got an episode back. Which one is it? The Underwater Menace? Ugh. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't mind, you know, because I'm really not bothered which lost episodes get returned. It's just going to be fantastic to see new classic Doctor Who. But uh, but in order to be able to um, to argue with you or uh, <laughs> or, or agree with you, uh, then I think I'd need to go back and uh, revisit the Underwater Menace um, in a little more detail than my, my memory allows me to at the moment. It's interesting, the idea of animating it, I really like. This is kind of a cartoony episode with its mad scientist that wants to destroy the world, uh, feel to it and the fish people this could come across really well in mm. in animated version that would be interesting but so if you're not going to argue with me about this one then what are you going to select as your least favorite well as, as i said i did have i had real difficulty on, on on a couple of these eras trying to pick out a story that i could talk about negative points about and um th this was the hardest choice and i i, I think i'm going to go um with with one where no episodes exist, unfortunately. This is the Highlanders, so only the second, second Doctor story ever. And uh, well, the Underwater Menace is the third, so perhaps these these are the the weakest run uh, of episodes, at least according to the DWP, anyway. Um, but I, the Highlanders, I I had real difficulty with. Um, maybe it's because the second Doctor hadn't settled down into the the second Doctor that most people think of when they think about Patrick Troughton uh, by this point. Uh, and also because 
he didn't really seem to know whether it was either trying to be comic or whether it was um, a bit of a drama. And I, I didn't find the story particularly exciting. Um, Jamie McCrimmon changed hugely um, after this story. I, there wasn't really a great deal to base a companion on, which is ironic when you consider that he was uh, pretty much the longest running companion in Doctor Who. I mean, he was in all of the second Doctor stories aside from, uh, from Power of the Daleks. And yeah, I... I just had real difficulty getting into this. Um, I, I've yet to read the novelization. Perhaps that's something that I need to do. Uh, but as far as I can see, looking at all of the other stories in the second Doctor's run, this is the one that I think I can say I enjoyed the least. Well, I'm appalled at you, James. And and in particular, I'm appalled because you happen to agree with Ian on this one. I, I know that for a fact. Uh, but Ian has not seen or read it, so... so uh, and unfortunately, I have not yet either, so I can't really speak with any intelligence on this one, except to say that I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy a good historical, uh, so if it's not good, then I probably won't enjoy it as much, but uh, I've been looking forward to taking this one in. Uh, I'm looking forward to Jamie's introduction, but uh, yeah, I can't argue with you too strongly because I have not yet experienced this one, but uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you must be wrong. Oh, I usually am. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I know this is certainly one of the last true historicals. Uh, but, you know, I, I do remember listening. I've listened to it on the, at least three occasions, certainly not for a very, very long time. But each time it's left me slightly cold and my attention has wandered uh, far too easily when when just listening to the soundtrack. And, you know, I think that's a shame because there are precious few Second Doctor stories that we have access to. And uh, I think it's it, it does feel kind of wrong trying to find uh, an episode to, to, to point out some, some bad points in. But I certainly don't hold this one in as high esteem as many, many other Second Doctor stories. Well, speaking of holding in high esteem, I think I'm going to break with tradition in my choice for the third Doctor as well and probably cause some consternation here. Uh, I have I've seen a little less than half of the third Doctor stories, so again, just selecting from about fifty percent of his output. But I'm going to go with the Silurians. <laughs> okay. And Would you like to explain yourself? <laughs> uh, you know, I think I sabotaged myself with this one unintentionally. I watched it for the first time not long ago, and I made the mistake of not checking how many episodes there were in the story before I went into it. And so as it came on episode four, the story seemed to be nicely wrapping up. You know, I had heard about the big conflict at the end where, where the doctor and the brigadier disagree about blowing up the aliens. And I was watching for that and watching for that and watching for that because it seemed to be coming to a, a sensible conclusion. And then it went on and on and on another three episodes. Um, yeah. Which, again, I probably did it to myself. If I had set myself up for having to watch seven episodes, I might have enjoyed it more. But for, it's, not, again, not a bad episode. There are amazing things in the Silurians, uh, chiefly the Silurians. So this is a least favorite. This isn't one that I dislike. But I felt like it dragged and dragged and dragged and could have been more effective in a shorter format. I think, Michelle, it's my turn to say I'm appalled. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope you've enjoyed your time on a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but no, I think season seven. Season seven is, is probably one of my all-time favourite seasons. And uh, the Silurians rivals Inferno with me as being the best story of that, that, uh, that season, possibly, possibly rivaling 
Invasion of the Dinosaurs as my favourite Third Doctor story ever. And uh, I, I just think it's so utterly original. I love the concept of, of there being, you know, um, a race prior to the humans um, taking over the planet. And I, I just think everything works well here. Early Pertwee, you know, it, it just comes across as, as cross, stroppy, um, all of the things that, uh, you know, basically laid the foundations for the relationship with a brigadier later on in the era you know I, I think when they become much more f friends with each other it was all based out of all of this early posturing around each other basically trying to be in control of the situation the brigadier is not used to having his authority challenged in such a convincing way and uh, I, I just love the way that the um, the production team crafted Doctor Who at this particular time and this story for me is is is, is really strong. I mean, in your defence, um, you did say that you know you haven't seen many um, third Doctor stories, and I and I will say I once you've seen them all, I'm absolutely certain if you were asked this question again, you would not come up with the Silurians as your worst story. There are plenty others out there that uh, that, that that are worse in terms of production, in terms of story, uh, in terms of engaging uh, stories. You know, it, it it's. It, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm just horrified. Well, I, I actually strongly <laughs> suspect that if I watch it again, I will enjoy it more, knowing what I'm getting into. But I'm really going to dig my grave here with you and say that I, I had a tough time choosing for my least favorite story between the Silurians and Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just doing this on purpose. No, and it, it's for the exact same reason. <laughs> Inferno is, is an, a great story, but it goes on and on and on. I remember, I have not seen it, though, since... Uh, probably about 25 years ago. It's been a long time since I watched Inferno. And I just mm -hmm. remember feeling that it dragged and dragged. However, I recently read the Target novelization and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So it may be that as I go back to it as an adult that I, I, I probably will appreciate it much more uh, than I did then. So again, strongly emphasize least favorite. Um, <laughs> it's not that I didn't enjoy these, but... Um, at any rate, I've enjoyed the others more. So what's your least favourite Third Doctor? Uh, well, I, this, this was hard, and I think I'm slowly coming round to the idea that the Third Doctor may be one of my favourite Doctors. And uh, I, I think maybe I'm just going through a Pertwee patch at the moment. And uh, every few years, I, I particularly focus on one Doctor. Uh, not, not deliberately, I, I just feel like watching a number of stories together and um, I, I'm currently in the middle of a Pertwee patch ever since the uh, Evasion of the Dinosaurs box set was uh, was released and I genuinely struggled to find one that I can say I, I didn't enjoy and, and I think that's a good thing <laughs> frankly uh, when it is such a difficult job but I, I, I think I'm going to have to select the mutants and uh, I, I think it's probably quite easy to say it just goes on for too long um, and of course because there are lots of six episodes stories and seven episode stories within the third doctor era that's that's probably quite an easy thing to say but again it's it's a context in which um, these stories were shown originally they weren't created for the video age they weren't created for uh, the dvd or for viewing at a later point it was supposed to be broadcast once a week and that was it if, if there was a repeat you were very very lucky i think the mutant suffers um in in a way a lot of the longer stories or most of season seven doesn't and and that's because i think it's trying to have this political subtext and it's, it's a malcolm hulk script so there's always an interesting moral um issue presented within the context of the story and sometimes i can live with that and of course you know the, the silurians and the sea devil is a is, is a very good example where i think it works um but 
the mutants i'm afraid it it doesn't the whole attempt at trying to address the class issue i i, I just don't think works particularly well i think the casting was appalling um it, it, it's interesting in as much as rick james uh, was the first black character or the first black actor in doctor who to be given a really meaty role that wasn't a, a villain um, it's just a shame that it was written for a cockney actor originally um, and they decided not to compensate at all but as far as I can see, there's not a great number of Third Doctor moments that I really think, yes, I enjoyed watching that. So for me, the mutants themselves don't really work and the story was not original. And uh, I, 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 it's not one that I'll be revisiting anytime soon. Well, I don't think the mutants is one of the best Pertwee episodes, but I do happen to have watched that one fairly recently and, and rather enjoyed it, so we'll disagree again there. I think one of the interesting things about the mutants, uh, well, I enjoyed the story, but perhaps being uh, here in America, I know you talked about the class differences that were shown in that. To me, it kind of had resonances of some of the uh, some of the conflicts that happened between Native Americans and, and settlers as we as the European American settlers came into America and. I liked some of those resonances um, in terms of the points mm. points that they were making, so that may be a cultural perspective, although I think the mutants is pretty universally panned, regardless of which continent you're on. I, you know, you've talked before on the podcast about the how our perceptions that we go into a story with can change our opinion of it, and it seems like with some of these that have a reputation for being pretty poor, as I go into them, I tend to go in thinking, okay, well, let's see if it's really as bad as they say. And I almost inevitably find that I enjoy it uh, more than perhaps I would have. I wonder what it would be like if I went in without that baggage. But uh, no, I, I, I was happy with the mutants. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because um, I, I, I generally agree with you. I think, you know, if, if a story has got a pretty bad reputation and I haven't seen it for a long time, then it comes out on DVD almost almost all of the time. I really enjoy it. I mean, there's, there's a couple of exceptions, but not many. I mean, Time and the Rani was the first time for me that um, I, I really did enjoy the extras more than the actual main feature. Um, but, the, you know, The Mutants was one that I enjoyed revisiting recently. I think the society and the, the class issues presented within this story could be applied to pretty much any kind of... Um, world society issue. I mean, you, you refer to Native Americans and so on. I think you could probably apply that elsewhere as well. Uh, whether or not it's done in any great detail or with any sensitivity or not, um, I think it's probably up for debate. I mean, what I do applaud this story for was at least going with it because it wasn't something that uh, many other shows of the time would have deliberately tried to including one of their stories i mean it's it, it was novel for for, for that reason uh, but it was um it, it suffered from all of the usual things um in, in, in the longer stories that don't quite work um suffer from i there was uh, only about two or three different studio locations and the characters used to run between those three locations either as prisoners being locked up somewhere and then escaping and getting away again um, and 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 for me, the characters, the guest cast, and so on, weren't engaging enough. And you know, it, it's just a shame that they ended up using the character or the caricature of the marshal. I think in in a number of other stories as well, uh, particularly later on, the Armageddon Factor, and possibly even the Pirate Planet, um, just before that. But yeah, it's it doesn't work brilliantly for me. Um, but it was still a difficult choice. I will say that much. Yeah, and I will admit it's probably a simplistic take on some very complex issues. In terms of the guest cast, I liked Sondergaard 
the guy that was had been down on the planet and essentially gone native. You're right, Cotton has got to be one of the worst guest appearances in all of Doctor Who, which is terribly unfortunate. Um, but no, I, I, I have a soft spot for the mutants. So, moving on into the fourth Doctor. Okay, now we get to Doctors that I have seen all of the episodes for, although many of them, it's been a quarter of a century since I have had a chance to watch them, so so the memory does fade. But this is tough. Uh, hard for me to find a fourth Doctor episode that I, I don't really enjoy. And I finally had to, I was really struggling between two different ones, and I flipped back and forth quite a bit. But I think I'll go ahead and stick with Image of the Fendal, partly because... I'm not a big fan of the evil magic cult in the basement setup uh, that gets used quite a bit, I think, in Doctor Who, and it's just not one of my favorite scenarios. Um, in the end, of course, the critter itself, the Fendal, when it finally shows up at the end, is pretty poorly realized. So mm. pretty much for those reasons... Oh, the other thing is the pacing. We've talked about pacing. Uh, and this one, to me, was fairly slow. There go, it goes on and on with those scenes of the skull fading in and out to a, a fairly piercing sound effect, if, if I remember correctly. It was just one of those episodes that I get a little embarrassed when other members of the family come into the room. Um, and, and yes. you know, if I get embarrassed when other folks come in, then I think, okay, maybe this isn't one of the best Doctor Who episodes ever. But I know that it also has its fans, so I may be in the minority here as well. Yeah, no, you're quite right. It's one of those stories that I think if you like this kind of story then you're going to like Image of the Fendal because it's done really, really well. And a very, very small guest cast, I think. And um, each of those guest casts are, are interesting. They have their own character, they have their own stories, they have their own motivations. Um, this, this is a story that I didn't watch for ages. It was one of the last few stories um, for, me, for me to watch for the very first time and it was mainly because the VHS was deleted here in the UK very early on it was extremely difficult to get hold of it was re-released later uh, but these um these old copies uh, used to go for you know 40 50 quid on 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 eBay um, before they re-released it the actual story itself i i think i do agree with you um there's also a controversial scene here where the Doctor basically assists suicide. And again, I've forgotten the name of the character, but the Doctor hands this guy a gun and he shoots himself. And that's something that was quite shocking at the time. You know, I mean, the, Hinch the Hinchliffe era was definitely darker, but I think this probably went over the line for me. And uh, yeah, it... it, it it's gone from a story that I really wanted to see. When I did see it, I thought it was excellent. Now that I've had the chance to revisit it on DVD many, many years later, it's one that I'm not so keen on. And I, I was It was the opposite of what we were talking about earlier, actually. I was really looking forward to seeing this DVD. I remembered thinking the story is fantastic. And when I watched it, I was disappointed. So, yeah, it's, it, it's not one of the strongest Fourth Doctor stories for me either. Yeah, I think the character you're trying to name is Stahl. I can't remember exactly how that's pronounced, but um, that was a very strange scene there at the end. I mean, there are certainly reasons that it takes place, and it certainly makes you think. I think you're right. It probably was out of place in a, in a show that was intended for children and families. Um, interesting to talk about after the fact, but a little bit of a strange choice for Doctor Who. No, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, it was a very strange scene uh, to appear there, especially as a doctor 
accepts that this is the only way out very, very quickly. It wasn't a last resort. It was something that the character, he made a decision. I've got to end this. And the doctor went, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That fixes a problem. (laughs) So, uh, So which story did you land on as your least favorite fourth doctor story? It's interesting to hear that you said that you had difficulty in choosing one for the fourth doctor. I didn't. Um, it was always going to be one of the season 18 stories for me because season 18 is simply not one of my favourites, no matter how much I really want to like it. Because season 18 really moved the season forward in so many ways. And, uh, you know, it, it's yes, it signified the end of the fourth Doctor reign as well. Uh, but it introduced so many things that did work later on from eras from six all the way through to 11. I'm going to say it's the Leisure Hive. Um, I've, I've always, always had difficulty with the leather, Leisure Hive. Firstly, because I don't understand it. No matter how many times I try to sit there and follow this story, um, you know, and especially when you hear fandom rave about it, and they say that it was it was so cleverly plotted, you know, and it was it, this could have been a social commentary on the poli- on, on on the um, politics of the time as well. I simply didn't follow it. I didn't understand where my doctor had gone. Uh, the last story I'd seen was Horns of Nymon, which was very much a stage for for Romano and Lada Wards, but the fourth doctor changed massively, and there's always this interminable debate: was it because Tom Baker was upset? He didn't really want to go. Or was it because he was deliberately playing a darker doctor? I I think it's probably the former, frankly. He didn't really believe that anyone was going to let him go. And therefore he changed his portrayal. And so I didn't recognise the doctor. Uh, The theme tune had changed. And, you know, it's not that I didn't like the theme tune. (laughs) It, it, It was just that it was too much, too much for me. And um, even to this day, when I listen to it with a commentary, which is all very interesting, um, I I just don't get the Leisure Hive and I don't understand why people really rate it. This is another one that I haven't seen for 25 years or so. And I remember my memories of it are that I thought it was pretty bizarre and pretty strange and didn't understand it and probably didn't like it all that much on first viewing. I'm not willing to put it as my least favorite now because it's been so long and I actually am very much looking forward to seeing it again. I think my opinions may change. It does have, isn't there a whole episode in there where the doctor is ancient, has been aged? And I, I will say that one of the things I don't care for in Doctor Who is when the doctor isn't the doctor. I come to this show because I love the main character. That's probably the first and foremost motivation for me. I love the character of the Doctor. So when you get the setups where he isn't really himself for one reason or another, those tend to be my lesser favorites. Can we get back to the Doctor? That's why I tune in. Leisure Hive kind of has that going against it in in one sense, but I, I can't argue with you too strongly except that i have this feeling when i see it again i may enjoy it more i mean i i think it does have its strengths i mean tom baker allegedly didn't want to be old uh, for an entire episode and i think had had this story been made a couple of seasons prior to, to to when it was made then tom baker would probably have got his own way but john nathan turner was saying no we're not going to resolve this problem within two minutes of the beginning of the next episode we're going to drag this on a bit and 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 then the good side of that is that you got to see how well Tom Baker acted as an old man because he did give a very very good portrayal. Um, but but I tend to agree. But we, we, I tend to agree with what you say about the Doctor not being a Doctor. But 
only within the confines of this story. And I, I, I think if I were to look at something like human nature and family of blood, I couldn't disagree with you more. Uh, when a doctor was John Smith, I found that to be the most compelling thing ever. And I just ate David Tennant's performance up. I just found it fantastic. And those two episodes remain some of my favourite from the 10th Doctor's era. But within the Leisure Hive, I wasn't enjoying the story anyway. And I think to lose a Doctor that had only just been reintroduced to us after the break between season 17 and season 18, and then he went away again, you know, given the fact that they'd changed his character already, it was just too much. It was too much too quick for me. And um, I, I just couldn't deal with it. I had to sit down. Well, I there are exceptions to every rule, and I agree with you completely about Family of Blood. Uh, yeah, no, that for some reason that's a totally different that's like apples and oranges yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and david Tennant was extraordinary in that um, perhaps because mm. the character he was playing was so compelling anyway you know uh but uh yeah and it has been so long since i watched the leisure hive but this idea of the doctor not being the doctor is going to lead in very well into my choice for the fifth doctor uh in terms of least favorite stories and again this one was a struggle for me because fifth doctor's era is probably one of my all-time favorites and uh, as I looked through the list, I really couldn't find anything that I disliked. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Castrovalva with his first yeah. his first episode for the reasons that I've already discussed. Uh, I, you know, I am not certain why they came up with the idea of post-regenerative stress or whatever you call it. But here you, you've just had this major trauma because as a, as a viewer, you've lost the character that you've fallen in love with for however many years. They've introduced a new person, and the first thing they do is make him be completely erratic and not be, a, a, in many ways, not a character that you can really feel comfortable with or, or fully enjoy. Uh, that's a strange strategy, I think, for making a show succeed, and yet here we are, you know, almost 50 years on, so clearly I shouldn't be showrunner. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I guess my, my as much as I enjoy Castrovalva in many ways, the parts that I dislike are the fact that the Doctor doesn't really get to be the Doctor for very much of it, and he's shut in a cabinet for a lot of it or um <laughs> and and the fifth doctor such a great doctor in my opinion so i struggle a little bit with waiting for the doctor to really come on the scene which never seems to happen until the second or third story um but yeah and then you know that whole business with the the, the master and adric is just a little bit strange <laughs> 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 but uh no you know yeah. there, there are lots of things to enjoy about castrovalva but if you're looking for my least favorite i think i'll go with that one for now well, it's again interesting to hear um, because it's, it's it's one of my favourite Fifth Doctor stories, <laughs> as to be said. But um, that's that, that's because I think I was so pleased to see the back of season eighteen. You know, it was going to have to be really bad that um, you know if if the program is going to get any worse, then I I would probably be in danger of stop watching it. But uh, but I I loved Peter Davison's portrayal, particularly within the first episode where he basically does impressions of lots of the uh, lots of the former Doctors. And um, I, I remember listening to your and Ian's review of Power of the Daleks, where you focused on this uh, this trauma that the Doctor, and it does seem to be just the Doctor, not necessarily um, other Time Lords, uh, experience just after they've regenerated. And I think you said they spent around about seven or eight minutes um, of, of uh, screen, stress. screen time. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, whereas this is is much longer. Um, it, it's much longer. It's almost uh, the whole story. Um, apart from the scenes where the Doctor is actually in the Zero Room and um, you, you get full-on Fifth Doctor there. 
But uh, yeah, I, I I do know what you mean. It's it's a very different story. Um, I do think they tried to bridge that uncertainty um, that always comes with changing the lead actor by making Castrovalva the conclusion to a trilogy, really, because uh, I still think Keeper of Trakum, Logopolis, and Castrovalva are pretty much the master. Um, a trilogy, sure, and I, I I think that works to a degree, and certainly by the end of this story, you've you, you know you're ready to move forward uh, in, in, into new things, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I I I love the idea of um, what was it recursive inclusion? I shouldn't try and say these long words, but what, whatever word it was that um, Christopher bid me come up with that was a central premise of Castrovalva, but yes, um, in, interesting choice. You mentioned Power of the Daleks, and having just listened to that, actually the Doctor does have sort of an uncertain character for quite a bit of that. He, uh, I mean, he may be settling into himself, but not. There is that initial seven-minute scene that that includes the initial renewal, if you will. But the questions about who he is and the Doctor not really acting like the Doctor continue well into that story. So yeah. it's an interesting tradition that has started all the way back from the very first regeneration that we had, although it's done more extremely, I think, in some of the more recent Doctors. Yeah, oh no, certainly. And I think the most notable one was the McGann movie, where it took up half the film. Um, and it was, uh, well, half an hour anyway. It didn't seem to work. It was a way of throwing the audience as opposed to settling them into a, a new idea. Yeah, and even David even David Tennant was asleep for much of his first episode. So, <laughs> at any rate, what, what, do, what do you pick for the fifth Doctor? I, I was, I, I, I had difficulty here as well. Uh, for, for, for not quite the same reasons you did, but mainly because there are two stories that I really don't like and I couldn't decide which one I, I, I dislike the most um, and, and, and first one is Terminus and uh, I, I have difficulty with the um, with that particular trilogy anyway and I, I just found that it was it was a corridor story um, there was nothing particularly interesting happened I think for the entire four episodes possibly with um, with the exception of Nissa disappearing um, at the end of the episode but the, the the way that whole story um, w- w- was told, it could have been done much, much quicker, much more speedier. Um, and and I, I don't think any of the companions, perhaps with the exception of Turlo, um, came across very well. And uh, it was only because we were really following Turlo's story. But uh, but for me, Terminus just kind of falls flat. It's um it's it's a Stephen Gallagher story I seem to remember, the same guy who wrote Warriors Gate, and I, I had real difficulty with that as well. Um, so for me, it was either a toss up between Terminus and Warriors of the Deep, which is obviously um I I think most people would be expecting me to choose that, and I'm I'm not going to. <laughs> it's I think Terminus scores just slightly lower than that story for me. Well, I uh. I don't know that I can argue too much with you, mostly because it's been so long since I've seen Terminus, so I don't have any vivid memories of it in my mind. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Had you chosen Warriors of the Deep, I could have argued with you because I particularly enjoy that one. But <laughs> but uh, I just have to take you at your word that, that Terminus is uh, struggles. <laughs> I, it's not it, it, it's not an iconic story for me and as I said it's not one that I would deliberately avoid it's, it's just not one that I don't enjoy very much and uh, I find it interesting what Big Finish have had to do um, in order to try and get Tegan Nissa and Turlo back together for their audios in a credible way they've had to you know develop the plot beyond Terminus or, or, or beyond the end of um, Nissa's departure uh, as seen on television and it, it, it's 
it just is is so clunky for me. Um, I, I I can't really say I enjoy it hugely, but um, but aside from that, I, I have to say you know I I do really enjoy the Fifth Doctor's era. And 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 had we been taking part in next week's podcast, then I think um, it would have been a lot easier because there are some prime examples of stories that I don't enjoy, all the way from Colin Baker's era right up to to, to Matt Smith's. But um, I volunteered to take the difficult podcast, and uh, as I said, I think it's it, it's encouraging, really. If it's not immediately obvious which stories that we we dislike, then surely that means there are a number that we do. Uh, so you can say that it's actually quite a positive show, after all. Yeah, and absolutely. And none of the stories that I picked this week are stories that I wouldn't enjoy watching again and again. So, <laughs> hooray for Doctor Who. Tom is always fond of saying, I think that it's. Even the worst Doctor Who is better than just about anything else on TV, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly. No, no, and I do as well. Anyway, just to give you a change of voice, uh, we're going to hand over the microphone to Leeson, who's going to do precisely what Michelle and I have just done, but much quicker. first time I heard that pulsating, organic, analogue theme tune, the original theme tune to the Hartnell era, I would have been about ten years old, and a close friend of the family uh, brought me round a VHS copy of The Daleks. I was already a huge Who fan by this point, and uh, I'd regularly watched Davison, Baker and um, Sylvester McCoy with my mother, uh, but I'd never discovered the earlier years uh, and, and the way the show was made in those days, and the feel uh, and the pace. Uh, and I was absolutely blown away, absolutely uh, enthralled. And ever since then, I've had a real soft spot for 60s Doctor Who, black and white, uh, made the way it was, televised theatre. So when I sat down to uh, compile my list of least favourite episodes, it's the early years that I find the hardest because I have such fond memories of all of the ones I've seen as a child. So I had to approach this through the prism of my adult mind. Uh, so this means that I'm judging on uh, the fluffometer, uh, the William Hartnell fluffometer. Uh, I'm, I'm judging on rickety set design and things that, that now I'm an adult and I haven't got a child's imagination anymore. I can't forgive as easily. I can't, I can't put that child filter on. I dearly wish that I could, but I can't. So my choice for at least favourite episode from the first Doctor's era is the Space Museum. Now there isn't any real fresh insight that I can put onto why the Space Museum perhaps isn't the best episode of Doctor Who ever made. Uh, I will say that partly the reason I have such a problem with it is is the promise of the first episode. It's The first episode is it's crackers. It's 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 utterly bonkers. It's uh, it's timey wimey. It's just everything I liked about sixties Doctor Who when I was a kid is that it it didn't know where it was going to go. You 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 couldn't possibly second guess, uh, and it unfolded at such a wonderful pace, and it was so quaint. I suppose it was quaint. It, it was it was good old fashioned storytelling. The problem with the Space Museum is it it totally loses its way. Uh, not very long afterwards. Patrick Troughton. Oh, so much of you is lost to us. 
and what remains I'm loath to pick at. I'm so pleased that we have some. Uh, I don't want to seem ungrateful. Um, in honour of all those lost Patrick Troughton classics, I am going to refrain from singling any of the surviving ones out for punishment and ridicule. So on to the third Doctor. Uh, now, uh, the third Doctor, I suppose, for me, uh, is the Doctor of which there are the most gaps. As will be covered in a future episode of the DWP, there are still some gaps in my Who archive, and uh, the largest of those gaps are in Pertwee's era. So from the limited uh, Pertwee knowledge I have, I would have to say that the episode I enjoyed the least is Carnival of Monsters. Now, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, I've only seen it once, uh, but I remember not enjoying it too much. But then this was before I understood Pertwee, and before I kind of got Pertwee. Now I like what the Pertwee era is about, and then I didn't. So maybe it'd be different. And this brings me on to an interesting point. Uh, being a Doctor Who fan, it's, it's such a life... Well, it's a lifelong obsession. Somebody's got to say it. And it spans such a large proportion of your life, such a large time span, that there are episodes that when I first saw them, I didn't enjoy them. And I came back to them at another stage of my life, you know. So watched it as a child, didn't really enjoy it. Watched it as a teenager, really enjoyed it. Watched it again as a middle-aged man and didn't enjoy it again. So I think there's there's an episode of Doctor Who for each era of your life. You know, like there is a partner for everyone out there, even the spotty nerds on the internet. There's a woman out there who likes spotty nerds. There is a time in your life that you will like an episode of Doctor Who. You will like The Silver Nemesis at some point in your life. This this is a fact. If you don't like Attack of the Cybermen, you might do tomorrow. The Time Meddler, The Chase. I actually really enjoyed The Chase. I have a very fond memory of watching it almost in one sitting, uh, sort of a rainy Sunday afternoon. And it was absurd, uh, hilarious, fantastical, <laughs> ridiculous Doctor Who. It was, it, was, it was entertainment. It was very entertaining, that's for sure. It was about this point in my research for this piece. I say research. What I mean is standing blankly in front of my DVD collection, uh, trying to pick the one I love the least. I began to realise I love this show unconditionally. And I'd like to leave you now on this slightly over-sentimental thought. That I think deep down, we all love Doctor Who, like a parent loves a child. And who could pick their favourite child? Oh, uh, I don't like Edge of Destruction either. Okay, Michelle, I think that's about it uh, for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. Now, next week on the Doctor Who podcast, Tom and Trev are going to sit down and discuss eras 6 through to 11, and they're going to talk about their least favourite stories. Now, I I don't know about you, Michelle, but I have a feeling there's going to be some interesting conversations going on there. Well, I'm sure they'll have a terribly difficult time picking least favourites, don't you think? Well, when you consider all of the Sylvester McCoy era is, you know, the shining exemplar, really, of, of what Doctor Who is, I mean, how, how could you possibly find a story that you don't enjoy in those three years? Well, they're troopers. I'm sure they'll find one somehow. <laughs> and you will be back also in some form, won't you? You'll be, uh, you'll be back with Ian. Yes, I'm far too opinionated about these things not to get a little bit in. <laughs> so make sure you tune in next week uh, to hear the conclusion of this little mini-series of, uh, of least favourite episodes 
on the Doctor Who podcast. Michelle, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. I hope the vinyl seat wasn't too uncomfortable for you. No, but I am looking forward to getting back to the lawn chairs in the forums. <laughs> we'll just make sure you leave those cushions precisely where they are. Listeners, we'll be back with you in seven days' time. Bye for now. Farewell. That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.